Gracious Father, I, I ask in these moments that we have um, to, to worship you and to hear your word and to consider your word as your people have done for thousands of years. Uh, I ask that you would uh, graciously m- meet with us and, and uh, allow our hearts to be open to what you have to say to us so that we wouldn't allow distractions of what's happening later today or, or tomorrow or um, the pains we may feel or the distractions of, of, uh, of brokenness or pain uh, keep us from hearing what you want to say. I pray for encouragement this morning, Lord, um, for your people who are here. I pray that this word would be an honest word from you, um, and it would find a home in our hearts. So meet with us, Father, through your Holy Spirit, through the word, in Christ's name I pray, amen. I told somebody uh, at the end of first service that, you know, th- this message really is kind of a heart-to-heart. Um, I want to share my heart with you, some of the things that the Lord is, has, has been doing in, in my life. Um, not to bring attention to me, but actually bring attention to the faithfulness of Christ to encourage you, and, and, it, and it points us to the text that I want to consider this morning. Um, I'm between, between series, uh, and um, the next one doesn't start until September 18th, and of course next week is family camp. But, but what, if you were here last week, you know that Adam Barngraf uh, brought the word, and I'm ver- very deeply grateful for him and, and for others who have been given the, given the gift of teaching and, and preaching. Um, uh, where I was last 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 weekend was uh, um, I was taking one of the fastest trips to uh, Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee, that I think anybody's ever taken. Uh, I went on a Friday and came back on a on a Sunday, and um, and what I did there it was it wasn't entirely last minute, but it, but it felt that way. Is uh, I had two roommates uh, that I uh, roomed with at the Naval Amphibious Base in uh, Little Creek, Virginia, back in 1985, 1986. 30 years ago, uh, two Marine roommates, and uh, we went to school for six months together, and I was in both of their weddings, and um, I think, but I think the last time I've seen them is t- about 25 years ago. And so what we decided to do is we were going to meet at a central location, which is Nashville, Tennessee, for a one-day reunion. One-day reunion with these two guys that I hadn't seen in a long time. And, um, you know, uh, I was, the, I was the one who came up in a Baptist circle, so I was really conservative, and both these guys were partiers, right? That was my first experience of two partiers. Uh, uh, they would wake up on a Saturday or Sunday morning and hung over, and they just, I was like, what are you doing? They're looking at me like, why don't you do what we do? Because we feel great the next morning. It's just, but anyway, so we did this 30-year reunion with these guys, and I just indulged the picture, okay? Uh, this is us 30 years ago, all right? I'm, I'm the guy in the middle, if you didn't figure that out. I actually had a hair at one point. And um, you can see why people in my childhood, they refer to me as Opie Taylor. I'm dead serious. It, it was, uh, that's not a joke. It, anybody listening to this on podcast who went to high school with me will remember, there was like a, a what do they call it, pep rally, in which all my buddies over in the freshman section started going, da 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 And if you don't know who Opie Taylor is, you haven't lived, okay? Uh, Andy Griffith's show was the high point high point of cinema, cinematic art. art. Um, but here's us today, um, as we took this last weekend, um, older, grayer, balder, and fatter. That's where we are. But a, a, a good time. Uh, but I want to tell you about something the Lord did there for me. Um, and I, I hope you find it encouraging to you. Um, it's a, it was a realignment for me. Um, I know that there are philosophies of leadership that would say, listen, you're never supposed to, supposed to show weakness, only project strength whether you're a pastor or you're a general or you're a, or a father. 
And I, I, what I'm about to say, it confesses to my own weakness. And I have to say I don't subscribe to that particular philosophy of, of, of leadership um, because I don't find it in the New Testament. Um, Jesus himself was somebody who, who was able to confess to his disciples the night before he was going to die. He said, listen, I am overwhelmed to the point of death. Like he was saying, I'm at the end of my rope. This is Jesus, right? He's confessing his weakness. And don't confuse weakness with sin. He's just saying I'm at a weak point. Um, you know how, how Q, I don't know if you have any James Bond fans out there, but Q gave James Bond two rules to live by. One is don't ever let him see you bleed. The other one is make sure you have an escape route, right? Don't let him see you bleed. Don't let him see you weak. And you know it. Jesus let us see him bleed and die. And Apostle Paul had no problem saying, listen, I was the chief of sinners. He also had, didn't have a problem talking to his church, uh, the church of Corinth, that he planted and said, you know, I, I, I came to you in weakness and, and in fear and much trembling. Like, it's just, just an honesty about it. Um, Christian leaders, in my opinion, shouldn't project strength. They should allow the strength of Christ to shine in their weakness, really. Um, and that's really kind of what I'm, I'm hoping um, out of this. So back to my reunion. I just got to tell you that going up and into it, because I, I didn't know what to expect. Um, if you were to, to um, I don't know, take a pulse of my emotional life, um, f- f- because of a number of different reasons, uh, I, I think you'd realize that Dan Deckard was battle-weary. And some of you are there. Some of you know what that's like. You just have the stuff comes into your life that's hard. And as I've heard over and over again, just because something's hard doesn't mean it's bad. Sometimes the hardest things are what God uses to do good things in our lives. But I would consider myself just battle-weary. Just a lot has gone on over the last couple of years, and many of you know that, both personally and, and, uh, and as part of a church family. Uh, so, so last week, I'm battle-weary. That's how I felt. So I got on that plane, and I had two books with me. I had the Bible, and, uh, uh, and I had a, a, another book that I've been reading these books on, you know, heroic feats of Navy SEALs over the last 15 years. I just, you know, I think I'm on my fourth one. And the, the latest one is The Last Punisher, right? Pastor Dan's reading The Last Punisher. Um, so those two things, well, let me just tell you how the, both those things have, have worked. Um, as I'm, I'm, imagine I'm, on the, fly, I'm on, my, on the plane, I have my Bible, and I have the last punisher. And I, I'm, I'm meditating on, on Psalm 86. It's a psalm of David in which he himself is battle-weary. And one of the lines in there caught me where he says, Lord, uh, show me a sign of your favor, right? Like in the middle of all of this, and earlier he quotes Exodus, you know, that God is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So he, he knows God's loving by his word. I know that God loves me by his word, and I, you should know that God loves you by his word. But sometimes it's nice to have a little show of favor, like throw me a bone, right? Have you ever felt like that? Like, all right, Lord, it's been a hard week. Can you just, like, just to throw me a bone? That, that, but that was my prayer. So I, I'm in the plane. I'm praying that. Lord, throw me a bone. Just, just something to encourage me in a small way. So I'm doing that, and then I'm reading this book, and I just can't put it down, about the last Punisher. (laughs) And it struck me as I was self-evaluating as I'm reading this book that it's creating within me a sense of discontent. I'm sorry to tell you this, ladies, and I realize not every guy is like this, but there's something instinctive about a guy that likes to fight, right? You love adventures, and you love stories of conquests, and, and I'm reading these stories, and I find myself thinking, what if? What if my life had taken a different track? Because it seems so 
There's so much action, so much adventure. Of course, it's totally vain and unrealistic to actually think that war is ever good. But I found myself feeling that. So I have this feeling of uh, distracted discontent because of these books that I'm reading. And by the way, The Last Punisher is the last book I'm going to read for a while on that topic. Because it was creating a sense of distracted discontent. And I'm praying, God, show me a favor. Show me a sign of your favor. So I land in Nashville, meet my two buddies, and we start talking. And uh, little did I know that, that it wasn't just going to be an anniversary. It was going to be... Um, it was going to be something that the Lord would just bless me with. So I started talking to my two friends, and, and we really haven't kept in good contact. And, and one of them started to share his life. And it, it, I was uh, completely blown away by the level of pain that he's in. Um, his father, within two years, and I'm talking about real time, in other words, two years ago, 2014, he lost his father, um, which, you know, a lot of us have lost, lost parents or grandparents. But then he went on to say that my, my little sister Carrie, and I remember he used to call her Care Bear, um, little sister, um, she went to bed, take, took a little bit too much um, medication with a glass of wine. She never woke up. It's like I lost my dad. I lost my sister. And then as a result of the grieving, not a result, that's not a way of saying it, but in the midst of his grieving, his wife left him for another man. Um, 25 years of marriage, uh, I think five kids, and the two youngest ones, um, he can't talk to, hasn't talked to in two years because his wife has, has pulled some legal stuff on him. So I, I met a man who's just broken, right? Just broken. And there are people in this room who've had some of those things, maybe all of those things happen. And, um, but he went on to say something that just humbled me. He said, Dan, I want, I want you to know that like, I've been attending a men's fellowship, Right? at a local Christian church, and we're going through the Gospel of John. And, um, and I'm going to church on Sunday. And uh, this, all right, this, this guy was a partier. I never touched a church. And here he's telling me I'm in a fellowship. I'm studying the Gospel of John. I'm, I'm getting my right, life right with the Lord. And, um, and he went on to say this. He said, and you know why I went to the fellowship and why I went to church? Um, he said, because of you. 30 years ago, I saw something in you. And I was just like, if you knew me back then when I was 18, you'd think, man, if that guy hasn't any life at all, it's just a smoldering ember is all it is. But somehow, he said, you know, I remember waking up, having a hangover, and looking over at you, and you read your Bible, and I was just thinking, man, that's where I want to be. And so when everything came apart, what did I do? I, I, I remembered back to what I wanted to be, and I started going to church. And listen, that, that's not to toot my horn. Listen, as I said, I was at best a smoldering wick of a Christian. Somehow, 30 years ago, God used a fledgling, barely alive Christian to draw a man to himself. And I was so humbled and so overwhelmed that God would allow me to see something like this. And instantly I remember I prayed for a sign of your favor. And he threw me a big bone. And I was just like, big, yeah, Dan, your life made a difference in this man's life. And, and at that moment, I also had another realization that's probably the most important realization of all. And it's a realization that I want to share with you. Is the realization that, you know, the adventures and the action and the fight and the wrestling, it's not out there. I mean, it is, but... It's right here. 
It's, it's all around us. It's, the real war is here. You don't have to fly over to the Middle East. It's, it's here. God is, has called us, called you and I into battle, and, and, and it's, this battle's in our workplaces, it's in our neighborhoods, it's in our nation, it's in our families, it's in our church. It's a battle. And I just realized, you know what, the action's not out there. There's nothing to be distracted and discontent about. I'm called to the action right here where I live. You're called to action right where you live. The war's not out there, it's right here. And in my mind instantly went to Ephesians chapter 6, uh, a well-known passage, but a passage I just want to remind you with and encourage you with. You know, uh, where, where Paul writes this to us, and he summarizes uh, the real nature of the enemy or the, um, the battle, uh, where he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, that is, things human or even physical, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the uh, cosmic powers, over the present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We're, we're not used to thinking this way. And I, I dare say most of us have been so tainted by our anti-supernatural assumptions that this doesn't carry much weight. Uh, we're, we're, we're more distracted by the power of political parties, um, beheadings on TV, or words like Taliban. And Paul's like, listen, let me just kind of scrape away what you can see. And let me tell you who our real enemy is. And it's not human. It's not flesh and blood. It doesn't breathe like we breathe. It's deeper and bigger and more powerful than that. Which means, church, our, uh, our greatest opposition is not fundamentally political. It's not. Our, our greatest opposition, our greatest enemy is not fundamentally cultural. Now, that's not the big battle here. Um, it's not the, the political issues that are the biggest enemies we face. It's not the sociological issues. At the end of the day, he strips it away and says, listen, there are powers that you can't see at work. The real powers behind what we see in the physical world. Um, and he... Those, those, even those words that you see on the screen behind me, you see how many power words there are. Rulers. Rulers are people who have been given, or entities, in this case spiritual entities, that are given jurisdiction or dominion over something. Authority has the capacity to wipe something out or, or cause physical, spiritual harm. Cosmic powers. <laughs> that sounds pretty ominous. Forces of evil. Now, that's how he describes the nature of, of our enemy and the fight around us. And um, just kind of summarizing those things, you realize that he's saying that our, our great enemy, our, the nature of the fight is spiritual, it's powerful, it's evil, and it, it, it impacts eternity. Now, I was, I was thinking about the nature of this. You know, um, in the battles that I was fascinated by as I read books about Navy SEALs and Airborne Rangers, you realize that, all of those battles and all of those wins and all of those victories are temporal. And I don't mean to diminish the importance of those who have served in military combat. But nations rise, nations fall. That's the truth of it. And history has proven it. Territory is taken for good and then lost. Nothing remains the same. Things always change. In other words, wins in this life physically are, are temporal. 
But what he discusses here in terms of the powers, spiritual powers that are evil, and when I say evil, I don't mean just jaded. What I mean is they are vicious, they are calculated, they are cold, they are massively intellectual, intelligent, I should say. And uh, they've been studying human behavior for thousands of years. They know how to wreck life. They know how to wreck marriages. They know how to wreck families. They know how to wreck churches. They know how to wreck souls. And that's who he's describing here to us. This is the real nature of the enemy. It's not what you see. It's behind what you see. And that is the enemy out there. And, um, And their impact is eternal. They are here, church, to deceive and to destroy. They don't want to just take your physical life. They want to see you rot in hell forever. That's the point. And uh, even as I say this, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm looking out there at you guys and wondering, do you really believe this verse? Do I really believe this verse? Like, there's, there are very real powers that you can't conceive of who are hell-bent on, on destroying your life. Destroying your faith. Destroying people's souls. That's, that's the nature of the fight, is what he's saying. That's the nature of it. Can, can you imagine if for just a moment we could, he could hand out glasses that would enable us to see beyond the physical? I think most of, it, most of us would go, oh my gosh. So what you're telling me is, is the big issue on the table and the real threat is not who's elected in November? No, it's not. It's not and never was. But that if you don't know the nature of the fight, you don't know the nature of the enemy, you don't know how to engage. You know, you can't engage an enemy like this with conventional warfare of, of swords and bows and tanks. And, and you know what? The best of our SEAL Team 6 and our Army Rangers and Marines can't do anything about this enemy. And it's here. It's in your workplace. It's in your classroom. It's in the hospital that you work in. Now, you might say, wow, Dan, that's like really dark and depressing. (laughs) This has been at work in my friend's life, right? Destroys the marriage through deception, seduction, and his family. But the good news is that God has equipped us for this fight. And I want to point that out, too, that I think is really important. But I don't want to do it in a way that kind of jumps into the weeds, you know. Uh, I'm not going to read the text at this point, but... I want, to, um, I want to just draw your attention to the big picture of this because, as I said, it's easy to get into the weeds and really examine what is the shield of faith and what is the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. And, and you really get down into the what is this or that. And um, we tend to be overly literal anyway. Don't recognize this is all metaphors, right? These aren't, aren't to be taken literal. And to miss the big point is like when he tells us, hey, shield, shield of faith and helmet of salvation and breastplate of righteousness and the shoes, uh, the gospel of peace and a belt of truth. You know, what, what he's saying collectively is like, listen, God has provided everything you need. He, he's, we always felt in the Marine Corps like we always got hand-me-downs. We got the worst tanks, got the worst, you know, choppers, everything. God doesn't do that. He's like, I'm not giving you the worst of the worst. You don't get hand-me-downs. I'm not going to give you a pair of old boots and, and a gun that doesn't work. It's like, listen, I have completely and fully furnished you for engaging in this fight against the enemy that is more powerful than you can by yourself take care of or take on. That's, that's part of the, the point. It's like, 
He's fully equipped you to engage. He's fully equipped me to engage. He's fully equipped us to fight. And by the way, most of those um, uh, implements of war were communal. A shield wasn't meant to stand in isolation. Shields were meant to lock with other shields, with other shields over and around. That is, this, this, uh, this, uh, these armor are collectives. That is, we're supposed to wear them together. So one point is simply, it's complete. God has completely provided for us to engage. The second one, I, w- I want you to just recognize that each one of these things, you know, consists of the resources found in Christ and his work. Is they all come to us um, because of either who Christ is or what he has done. They're all connected in that way. In other words, we've been fully furnished by, on the basis of, of Christ's great work, of his great death, of his great resurrection, of the giving of his great spirit. That, that, that's, that's the benefits or those are the resources that we call upon in terms of this, this armor. And to wear it... Um, I used to, as a kid, I remember hearing this, and I, I used to imagine myself, okay, I'm picking up the armor now. I'm putting on my shield. I'm, uh, now I'm, I'm putting on my helmet. Okay, I got that. And you kind of imagine yourself, you know, walking out the door with this imaginary stuff on. And at the end of the day, you know what it really means? It means you stand in the fullness of what God has done for you in Christ. It means that you embrace it. It means that you saturate yourself in the fact that you have a king who, who gained victory for you and who's with you, promises never to leave you, and has given you his spirit. That, daily, that's what it is, is the, the full realization of who you are in Christ. That's, that's what it means to put on the armor. So when, when, when he talks about the shield of faith, you know, he's dealing with truths of the gospel, resources of the gospel. You know, when someone lies to you, a lot of people have lied to us, and they say, you know what, your life doesn't really matter Unless you own a house or unless you have a big bank account, your life really doesn't matter. You know how the Christian is supposed to defend against that lie? Um, The Christian is supposed to say, you know what? Um, I have been bought with the blood of Christ and I am no longer an orphan. I am no longer separated. I am not an alien. I am not a sojourner in this world. But I am part of the household of God, which means I matter. That's how you defend against the lie is the shield of faith is truth. It's the truth of who you are in Christ. Or when, when the lie comes that, you know, you really need to be afraid these days because things are coming apart morally and culturally in our country. So why don't you just go ahead and run for the hills and say the sky is falling. We're like, wait a second. How do we fight that? Our faith, what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, of things visible and invisible, and his only son, Jesus Christ, who has been given all authority over kings and kingdoms and is subjecting all things underneath his feet. Someday he will come and judge the living and the dead. So I don't have to be afraid. That's faith. You see, it's just... You're calling upon what God has offered to you in Jesus to say, I, I serve somebody so much bigger than you, bigger than your party, bigger than the issue. That's, that's shield of faith, right? Or when we, in this life, we struggle with our own sinfulness and weakness and so forth, and, 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 and you feel the accusations and the self-doubt, what do you do? Well, you remember, you know what? I do not stand on the platform of my own perfection. 
but I have been offered a righteousness from above that comes through Jesus Christ, my Lord, who won it for me, and it's his breastplate of righteousness behind which I stand secure. Not my own. You see, these are simply resources that Christ has given to us on the basis of who he is and what he's done. Saturate yourself in the gospel. Saturate yourself and embrace and stand firm in who you know you're, you are and who you're supposed to be. And then you are fully able to engage. Nothing magical about it. Not hard to figure out. Just, he has offered this to us. Do, 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 have, we, have we appropriated it? But then there's, there's also one final piece in here, and that is, you know, Christ is the one who, who won the victory at the cross. We know that. Uh, he won the victory over death and over sin, over our sin, and uh, has guaranteed us a life in his resurrection. So he's, he's the great victor. But amazingly enough, he has called us into action. And if we get our head right on it, in it, that's kind of exciting, right? Um, the, the last part down here when he talks about prayer and boldness to speak the truth, prayer and boldness to speak the truth, those are means by which God enables his people to go on the offensive and actually push back um, the darkness to overcome in his name the uh, authorities and the rulers and the cosmic powers. Um, that, and those, those, are, those, are, those are the weapons of our warfare. Knees and speaking. The gospel of Jesus. Nothing else can bring down the walls of hell. <laughs> I always had this image in my mind as I was preparing this. You know, it's just like, like Helm's Deep in, in uh, the Fellowship of the Rings. That's the second one. And um, big, massive walls. And you can picture um, uh, darkness. And it's impenetrable. There are souls on the other side that cannot get out. No amount of pounding, no amount of screaming is going to let them out. People who have been enslaved to their sin, enslaved um, to the spiritual darkness. And then there's us on the outside. We also can't beat in the doors and we can't, we can't breach the walls. So, so what's, what, 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 what how, how, can, how, can, how can souls be liberated? And you know what? It comes down to those two simple things is, is we get on our knees and pray for God to work and exercise power and then to open our mouths. I picture... You know, Paul was a missionary, and he went all over the place. And he, he went into cities that were, um, if you will, they were in, in the stranglehold of darkness. Paganism. People with no hope. And, and I like to think that the, 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 the authorities and the rulers and powers that be were like, okay, here comes this guy. He's going to open his mouth. And that makes the rulers and principalities tremble. The biggest danger to those um, authorities and principalities and powers and forces of darkness, the greatest um, danger to them is that you get on your knees and you start speaking. Because it's in the verbal proclamation of the gospel, it's in the verbal proclamation of what God has done in Jesus Christ, that he is one, that Jesus kicks down that wall and kicks in the door and says, these are mine. Nothing can stand against the power of the gospel proclaimed, moved upon by the Holy Spirit. That's how, that's, church, that's, that, that's, that's how we, that's how the fight is fought. That's how the war is won. I mean, right? How many of us are silent, 
afraid to speak because our culture has made it so unpopular for us to speak as Christians, to say, listen, there is one way, one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ, his only son. There's only one way to be forgiven, and that is through the blood of Christ. There's only one way to live eternally, and that is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when people verbally are able to say that, given the proper opportunity and fitting place, listen, Jesus kicks down doors. And you have to believe that in your family and with your, with your children who don't believe or your family members who don't believe or your neighbors. Like somehow there has to be speaking because the devil is fully content with us being here in the city. But it's when we start praying and speaking that, we're, that there are problems. That's when doors are kicked down. That's when doors are kicked down. So listen, it, it really just, it just comes down to this. I mean, think about this. If the smoldering ember of my Christianity 18, that's all it was, made a difference in a man's life 30 years later, because I even though I didn't fully believe it, I still spoke it. Then, what is God doing through your life? And imagine if you're not a smoldering ember. What if you're strong in your faith and you actually are each day waking up and, and fully grasping who you are in Christ and you're going into your business place and you're going into the hospital you work or your classroom realizing, you know what? Like, I, I'm... I'm dangerous to darkness. <laughs> you are. Not because you're so strong, but because you have a mighty Savior who's on your, in your corner. Like, you need to think of your place of work as a place of battle. You need to think of your neighborhoods, not as just a place you live. This is a place where the action is. Church, it's all around us. The action is all around us. We may never see the uh, final fruits of it. We may die before people look back and go, man, I remember this guy in my office, and he claimed to be a Christian. He was a man of integrity, and he was a man of generosity, and, man, my life isn't going too well. I need to follow in his footsteps. That's, that's the battle, church. So I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged to, um, to see that where God has placed you, um, you are intended to be a soldier um, for good. And that through your life, if you're living out the gospel, if you're embracing the gospel, and if you're willing to speak it when God grants you opportunity, listen, things are going to change. And someday, the Lord's going to show you. He's going to show you what's behind door number one, door number two, and door number three. And you're going to realize, wow, God, I, I had no idea that you did that through my life. And he's going to say, yeah. Well done, good and faithful servant. Um, but it was me who did it through you. <laughs> right? So, church, get out there. Fight. Don't be distracted. You're right where you're supposed to be. Gracious and holy Father, um, empower and energize your church. Help us to see with, with your eyes the the true nature of the enemy and the battle around us. I, I pray that where there is pride or blindness, I pray that you would heal us so that we can truly see 
Father, help us to see our clients and our neighbors and those that you have placed in our lives. Help us to see them as, as objects of your love. Help us to contend for their lives, their souls, um, in our prayer life and um, in our prayerful, watchful expectation that you will provide opportunity for us to speak the truth in love. And I pray this in the name of the one who gives life for us, um, who makes changes and kicks in the doors. Amen.